High Speed 2 is one of the largest and most complex projects ever undertaken in the UK. When the first phase is complete, 140 miles of dedicated high-speed railway will have been built up through the spine of Britain, linking London to Birmingham. Four major new stations, 32 miles of tunnels, 10 miles of viaducts. It's over a decade since it was first officially proposed and will take over a decade to build the first leg alone. A project of this scale is always divisive. And even in a society increasingly aware of the need to decarbonise, with a railway pushed beyond its capacity, there's been debate about what our solution should be. Constructing the mega-project are tens of thousands of workers, each with their own niche role to fulfil. It has brought people in from around the world, all working together to reshape the UK for the better. Hello and welcome to the Tunnelling Podcast, the official podcast of the British Tunnelling Society. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. In this episode, we speak with Yanis Fazayos, an engineer currently working for Arup in London. He tells us his journey from Athens to Canada and then to the UK and how he found the industry and built a career within it. Yanis is speaking to us from North Acton, the bustling Victoria Road High Speed 2 site where a large crossover box is being constructed. 130 metres long, 24 metres deep and with 1.5 metre thick concrete walls. The box will allow High Speed 2 trains to switch tracks underground on their approach to the Old Oak Common High Speed 2 station. For Yanis, it's the latest stop in a journey that's taken him from Athens to Canada and now to London. He's worked on projects all around the world and he's proud of what he's done. Often when you speak to a tunnel engineer, they have some childhood story or a person who inspired them to join the industry. For Yanis though, tunneling was not the first career he had in mind. It's quite funny because, well, the educational system in, in Greece is it's a bit funny. So at some point, at the end of your high school career, let's say, you need to give an entry exam and then Essentially, you put down a list with the universities that you would like to attend. Depending on your final marks, you go to your first, your second or your third choice. I can tell you that I was not really thinking of civil engineering. <laughs> so it's, it's quite funny because the, well, the first school that I wanted to attend was it had to do with military and finances. My civil engineering was actually the third uh, one in my list. Fortunately, Yanis didn't get into the military finance course because sitting where he is now on a high-speed two site... From the result, I would say that it works quite well. <laughs> in fact, instantly upon joining the civil engineering department at the National Technical University of Athens, Yanis knew that this was what he wanted to do. The challenges, all the things that we do for, for the society, like how we contribute to the infrastructure, the, the variety of projects that you can participate... Because by background, I'm a, I'm a geotechnical engineer. The thing that happens while during orientation week, professors from different departments will come and talk to you. So we had uh, a, structural professor for, a structural engineering professor, for example, 
he would come and talk to us about bridges, buildings. Then for geotechnics, the one who came to talk to us was Paul Mar- Professor Paul Marinos. And he immediately started talking about the things a geotechnical engineer does. Deep foundations, basements, tunnels, dams, mining. And the people that they were involved in the, in the course were, again, very passionate, in particular, Vasilis Marinos, who was a doctorate student at the time. Now he's a professor, an assistant professor in the National Technical University of Athens. You could see that every time that he was talking about rocks and the stuff that you can do with civil engineering and geology, see, I was very, very inspired by, by both of them. And that's how I pretty much made the decision to be involved with geotechnical engineering and tunneling engineering. His interest grew more as he took courses in soil mechanics and building foundations. And in the third year of the five-year undergraduate course, that's how he specialised. After the five years were over, he had to report for military service. I served in the Corps of Engineers. Not all of the people have the, I would call it, luck to be involved with engineering works while doing their service. But because of your background, well, in the military, they try to take advantage of, of you as much as they can. He ran a couple of projects while serving, mostly in surveying and a bit of slope stability work to make sure certain road routes could handle military vehicles. They also needed to map out some future campsites. Because they wanted to do some future developments there, like add some supply facilities and stuff like that. My commander at the time, he was also a civil engineering graduate, so he was particularly keen in pursuing things like that. So he gave me the opportunity to be involved at that capacity while I was doing my service. It was, it was pretty fun, I would say. Plus, you, you were getting the opportunity to get off guard duty in the mornings. So you were doing something interesting instead of just standing there with your, with, with your rifle. <laughs> then it was back to complete his master's, which he did as an interdepartmental course run by the Mining and Civil Engineering Department of NTU Athens. I had a particular interest in tunnels since my undergrad. So I knew exactly what I wanted to do because I wanted to, to become a tunnel engineer. That was my, that was my end goal. I, I, I love tunnels. <laughs> and, and, through, and through the course, I got to see like the, the things that we do for in, in tunnel engineering, the knowledge that you need to have in terms of like the engineering geology and the geomaterials in general in order to properly assess and determine like your support system for the excavations. We also had courses where we examined the different construction methods ranging from drill and blast to mechanized tunneling like EPB, slurry, and for harder materials like hard rock TBMs. And sprayed concrete lining, which is paying off now. During this time, he also travelled widely around Greece, visiting various project sites. After that, it was my move to Canada. Before I moved to Canada, I had a discussion with, uh, with Professor Marinos. I told him that I would like to pursue doctorate studies. But I would like to, since I had done my undergrad and my graduate studies in in Greece, I wanted something different. I wanted a different flavor. So he went to Queen's University Kingston in Canada to work on his PhD with Mark Diedrichs and Nicholas Vlakopoulos. Yanis's PhD was on the investigation of hard rock observations and fracturing mechanisms for the development of nuclear waste management facilities. The focus was trying to understand 
discontinuity systems within hard rock environments. Then understanding the fracturing mechanisms once you have like excavation-induced damage, how that affects the surrounding rock and how deep the damage goes. The application of this was for a deep geological repository for nuclear waste. It's quite important, particularly in that field, to understand when you can excavate, how much damage you are actually inflicting on the ground. As it's quite critical to understand the fracturing, both the fracturing initiation and fracturing propagation and interaction between the excavation-induced fractures with the existing discontinuities in the ROCMA system. The design life for deep repositories is not for the standard 100 or 120 years that you get on major infrastructure projects. It's measured in the hundreds of thousands, even millions of years. Yeah, thousands and millions of years of time that we need to design for. Understanding how potential leakages in the deep geological repository and the circulation of those leakages in the ground and how this could reach the ground surface become very critical. And that's how the, there has been like a lot of research that is even even currently it's undertaken in order to understand the the mechanics, especially with, with brittle fracturing within either sedimentary or, or igneous rocks mostly, so that we secure the facility and that in a potential leakage, essentially we isolate the deep geological repository from the ground surface and the potential impacts that this could have. Yanis focused on understanding the brittle behaviour within igneous environments. Although it is a large research group at the university and each graduate student is assigned to a different task. Then came the move to the UK, which Yanis says is a worry for some people coming from warm Mediterranean countries, but that the Canadian winter definitely prepared him for it. A friend and colleague of mine with, with Arup told me that, yeah, once you move here, uh, the UK will look like Jamaica to you. It's not going to be an issue. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely the transition was, uh, was very good. Well, I had already seen how things work uh, outside of Greece and my, that helped. And the five years that I spent in Canada definitely helped with my transition to, to, the, to the UK. Yanis had written a joint paper with someone working on a similar PhD topic and with whom he stayed in touch. Towards the end of my PhD, he said, you know what, I work for Arubi in, in London, would you, like to, would you like to join us? And I said, yeah, definitely. I mean, Arubi is a great company, plus I'm moving to the UK, which means that I'm closer to, to Athens. Yeah, the flights from Canada are not fun. <laughs> to Europe, I can say that, I can say as much. Yeah, and that's how I pretty much joined Arup. He set up an interview uh, for me. The art directors were pretty happy with the things that I was doing. They saw me as a good fit and I joined Arup in London. And this is Yanis's first piece of advice for young engineers. Networking works. For the young engineers that they are out there, please get exposed as much as you can to, if you, if you are at a conference, talk to people, make sure that you keep in touch with them. It's definitely one of the things that uh, will help you move forward with, with your career. At least that's, a, that's my experience. It worked out for me. Yanis says that upon joining Arup and moving to the UK, he was most impressed by the facilities, the equipment and the organisation of a British design house. I think that the organisation probably was the thing that made the most impression to me. I was I was coming from an environment, not, not, in, not in Canada, 
but in terms of the industry, I was coming from an environment that it was not that organized, let's say. So that would be my experience in Greece, at least. And then I had already seen how things are organized in Canada and then coming to the UK and how such a big organization is organized and with the things that they provide to the employees in order to be able to, to perform and do their work. I felt like I can do my work here. I can produce something of very high quality. And it's the thing that actually makes me happy. Whenever I, I, I always strive for excellence and like doing, doing the best for the, the project that you work on. So um, I was very happy to see that uh, Arup was offering that. Yanis has had the opportunity to work on a number of good projects now. And to him, they all have value. But you always remember your first. And for him, it was Melbourne Metro. Optimizing the design that we already had in place in order to help the contractor on site to achieve better results, both in terms of stability and in terms of like accommodating for the equipment that was available, provi providing also a, solu a solution that was uh, more sustainable. I was not doing tunneling directly. I was helping with the uh, shafts for the stations. That was the first thing that I did. And he also got exposed to people at a very high level on the project, which was a good experience, giving him a different perspective on future projects. The best impression, I would say, from my very first job with uh, with with Aero, because Melbourne Metro was a highly complex pro uh, a highly complex project, many interfaces, lot of lots of assets. I didn't work in only just one station. I I, I think that at the time we had uh, three or four that we were helping with it with the design, and I also worked with with amazing people. So and very knowledgeable people. And this is very, very important, having people with a strong technical background to support you at all times. And also you see a different perspective as well, which helps you grow both as an, as an engineer and an individual. But being assigned work in the UK brought an unusual experience. Now working on High Speed 2, the largest infrastructure project in Europe, Yanis encountered something new. Given my, given my studies and my background, if you see, most of the projects that I had worked up to now were more rock mechanics and more engineering geology focused. So harder, harder materials than the, than the ones that you actually see in the greater London area. So it was a big jump going from hard rock excavations to excavating within London clay. Beyond that, the complexity of the project was something he'd not fully appreciated. Although he had attended lectures and talks giving an overview. So I, I had a general idea of the project, but not like the all the assets that we have, the things that we need to do, like the different interfaces, the stakeholders, their interaction with the, the interaction between the contractor and the designer. So upon joining the project, I got to get a much uh, greater appreciation of First of all, the scale of the project, which is enormous, like uh, even working within one asset, there are so many things that you need to take into account. Imagine what happens when you put all the assets together and the, all the kilometers of tunnels that we need to excavate and all the rail tracks that we need to install. 
to establish the connection between London and Birmingham. Simply stunning. Simply stunning. And Yanis says there are so many things to do that it makes for fun, varied work. Ranging from geometry and space proofing, design and numerical modelling, my involvement, for instance, on site as the the designer's representative. Of course, the commercial and managerial aspects of the project as well, like the different interfaces and also the, the interfaces between the different disciplines how the coordination between the tunneling team and the geotechnics team and the MEP team and also the interaction between the designer, the contractor, uh, bouncing back and forth ideas in order to improve the design, in order to make it better for the project and in order and all of this in order to deliver something in the end is going to help with, with, with the lives of people that want to commute more frequently between London and Birmingham and of course, the, all the development that's going to happen after that with the extension of HS2 towards the north. And just as High Speed 2 moves northwards, the UK is seeing the potential for more tunnelling activity in the north with other projects as well. This brings with it the need to tunnel in different geologies, harder rock. Which plays into Yanis's experience, both from his research work in Canada and growing up in a rocky, mountainous Greece. Now, the, the idea of me being recruited in the first place was that we wanted to form within Arup a center of rock mechanics excellence in the UK that would assist more globally. If, as you have seen already, I have like a lot of projects that I have been involved in that they are not UK based. I've done quite a, quite a lot of work in Australasia and in Canada as well. There is a lot of soft ground experience already in the UK, as that's where most of the tunneled infrastructure has been built, in the softer south. But yes, as you very well said, we are moving towards like a future where more rock excavations are going to be a thing in the UK. Definitely both for infrastructure, well, we already have like for mining, looking at the York Potas project, for example, and of course, when it comes to the nuclear waste management facilities, we're definitely not looking at soft ground. Which we probably will see if we want to pursue that route to green energy responsibly. Yes, I think that there will be a requirement for people to get more familiar with this kind of materials, build expertise, and of course, through international collaboration, it's something that I can see it growing in the next in the next few years in the UK for sure. In the tunneling community, Yanis is interested in the growth of skills and personal development for young engineers. It took him a while to get involved, as he felt he was transitioning from an academic background to industry itself and moving to a new country. But now he's more active. He is part of the BTSYM, the British Tunneling Society Young Members, looking after professional development. Within the committee, we're working towards like organizing lectures, workshops, and events that help the young engineers with personal development, skill development. Unfortunately, due to COVID, we couldn't materialize oral initiatives. We put together some workshops and, and lectures. We, we would like to do more this year, now that the measures have started lifting and things appear to 
to be improving a little bit. We will see how it plays out. But we have a, a, a very good plan starting in September. So hope, hopefully we will be able to materialize most of our, most of our goals. We are in a world that, at least in the engineering field, you can see that in order to, to progress as an engineer, you need to have like sev several attributes ranging from like technical ability to commercial and management. There's a lot of things that come together in order to form a good and a good engineer. Lots of things that are useful and important. But from my perspective, I would say that having a good technical knowledge so that you can also see the the, lar the larger picture and then combining combine it along with like the commercial aspects is a great tool i think that soft skills are something that you can work on and you can improve through your entire life the same applies for technical but if you don't have a solid foundation I think that's more difficult. If you lack the knowledge to be able to communicate what needs to be done to your team members and to the client in order to solve a particular problem, it definitely makes your life a lot harder as an engineer in the longer term. So the thing that I would advise from my personal experience is that you need to invest in developing your technical skills. And then the soft skills are something that, of course, you need to pay attention to but you can also develop later as you're working. And apart from that, Yanis has one final word of advice for an easy life in engineering. What I had heard and I, and, I, and I say from time to time is that if you don't want to work a day in your life, make your hobby your work. Being passionate about your work and doing something that you enjoy is the thing that will keep you going in the long term. That would be the final piece of advice that I would like to give. Make sure that you do something that gives you joy because most likely you're going to be stuck with that for a number of years. <laughs> so unless you enjoy it, it's not good for, for anyone. Either not, it's not good for you and it's not good for the people that you work with. Make, make sure that you enjoy what you're doing. The Tunneling Podcast is a production of Rebe Media. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Conacher. My co-host was Bernadette Ballantyne. Sound engineering and series supervision by John Young. And our executive producer is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, tunneling.reby.media, and on LinkedIn.